And I understand that people feel like we're sitting at this terrifying crossroads right now, but I want people to know that it's also a crossroad that is filled with opportunity. And I absolutely wouldn't be doing this work. You wouldn't be doing this work if we didn't really believe we could turn this around. And I really think we can. Welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today is a conversation with Matthew Littman, a man you might not have heard of, but who's doing so much good work behind the scenes to help the country and our democracy that I felt it was essential you meet him. I believe we need to be inspired by the people out here doing the work instead of just being stuck stressing that nothing is being done. Along with being a former speechwriter from everyone from Senator Joe Biden to NFL coaches to Academy Award winning actors, Matthew is the executive director of 97%, a bipartisan group of Americans who support the Second Amendment, gun safety, and responsible gun ownership. 97% brings gun owners directly into the conversation so we can have an honest civil discussion about ways to reduce gun violence in America. Among other things, Matt also runs the Working Group, which brings together entertainment industry leaders with the most well-known leaders in politics, news, government, and nonprofits. The Working Group is possibly the most influential voluntary group in the country seeking solutions to our country's biggest problems, and it's been written about in places like The New Yorker, Politico, and The Wall Street Journal. You can also find Matt as a frequent commentator on every cable news network from MSNBC to Fox News, and he has more than two decades experience as a political strategist and government affairs advisor to Fortune 500 companies, members of Congress, and nonprofit organizations across the United States. Despite Matt's stellar resume and his work in both the nonprofit and corporate world, I'm having him on today to talk about two political working groups. I think the best thing to remember during this conversation is just because we don't see all the efforts people are taking, there really are thousands, tens of thousands of people across the country fighting the good fight. And I want you to start thinking that that could be you. You don't need to be running an organization or a member of the government or a Hollywood superstar to be making a difference. You just need to care enough to get involved and then reach out to get your people involved. This is how we save the nation we all love and believe in. America is clearly struggling to find its way right now, and it's going to take the efforts of every last one of us to get us successfully back on track. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, consultant, speechwriter, and executive director of multiple game-changing political organizations, Matthew Lippman. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for coming. I was just saying in the introduction that you don't have to be a household name to be making a difference in our democracy. I mean, you're out here doing this great work, not for the fame, but for the good of the nation. And I hope that listening to you, people will be inspired to go out and be their own change makers because we need all hands on deck right now. Totally agree. And I think, you know, things can be very overwhelming for people right now. Anything that people can do to be helpful, I think, makes people feel more powerful. And people should be able to do those things. So yeah. Now, it. obviously, you've spent over 20 years of your life as an incredibly successful political strategist and speechwriter. You still work within corporate America in many different forms. But lately, you've been prioritizing your time with organizations like 97% and the Working Group, which are more ground up grassroots organizations. So what drew you to this kind of work? You know, what drew me in was on the um, uh, on the gun stuff, that's 97%. What drew me in was that the you know, we're all in the same position here, practically panicked on a daily basis with all that's going on. And I think, you know, we all, I have a couple of teenage girls, but, 
you know, hearing the way that they live versus how you and I grew up in terms of what's going on at school and the preparations they need to make for shootings. And I'll just tell you that at one of my kids' schools, the high school's closed today because of threats. There have been three incidents in the last two weeks by the school where they had to have security come and shut things down. So, you know, hearing these things and then what they have to do at the schools, they're telling the kids to throw tennis balls if somebody's in the school with a gun. Like, it's ridiculous. So what can we do? And this is what I always ask myself, Lee, and you may do this yourself, which is what can we do to improve the situation? That's really it. What can we do to improve yeah. the situation? And like, listen, like, Let's talk about 97%. Let's talk about guns. I mean, you're frequently on Capitol Hill lobbying for gun legislation. The name of the company itself was inspired by a 2018 poll, which found that 97% of Americans support universal background checks, which even with that kind of agreement has still yet to become a federal law. I mean, your website points out that while individual polls vary, support levels for universal background checks are always around 90%, which only proves how little conflict there actually is on a topic that almost right. always seems impossible to solve. So why do we get so little done on an issue that so many of us agree on? Well, you know, it's funny you say the thing about the polling because I was in a meeting once where somebody said to me, you call yourself 97%, but only 91% agree on the issue. And I said, hold on, only 91%? What other issue did 91% of people agree on? So I'm happy to have somebody say, like you just did, some polls say 90%. There's literally nothing that has that much support. That's why we got involved. There are these philanthropists, Adam and Stacey Miller, they're the ones who came to me and said, what could we do? And what we decided to do was bring gun owners to the table. That's what we thought was the missing link, right? So you have all these wonderful organizations you know of, Everytown, Brady, Giffords, people like that. There are dozens of those organizations. There are dozens of gun rights organizations. There are dozens of people who work on specifically gun safety. All these amazing people. Like you said, 97% of the country agrees on this. Why don't we have it? So that's what we're trying to figure out. So we brought in gun owners. That's our thing. And we, you're asking why we don't have all these things that everybody seems to want on Capitol Hill. So I'm going to tell you why. Because I go to all these meetings we just met with, for example, a couple dozen Republicans. We meet with um, the House Gun Violence. There's a House Gun Violence Caucus. Um, and about 160 Democrats are in that. And so what we find is on the very often people on the Republican side, for example, they may agree with us, elected officials. Some people want to sit, want to take action, but a lot of people say, I don't want to be the face of a gun reform effort on the Republican side because they're afraid of, and it's not, this is super interestingly, lots of folks are focused on the NRA, but the NRA is really shaky right now. It's not the NRA. What people need to really understand is that there are groups to the right of the NRA. The Gun Owners of America is a very influential group on Capitol Hill. Most people have never heard of it. It has less members than the NRA. They're super influential. They call the legislators. The legislators will say, I didn't even hear from the NRA in this issue, but the Gun Owners of America, we got a thousand phone calls from that organization. And so what needs to happen is that gun owners who believe in gun reform, and that's 84% of gun owners believe in gun reform. They need to come to the table and start advocating for gun reform. That's really the missing. 
Because ultimately the gun industry and these groups are pitting us against each other, whereas a lot of us actually agree. I mean, the mission of 97% seems to be to change that conversation. So we're not just listening to the loudest and most extreme voices. I mean, you point out that most gun owners, like you're just saying, are essentially into reducing gun-related violence. Not because they're the ones causing it, but because it's gun regulations that will go a long way to real and productive change and making them look good again. They're like, I don't want to feel like the bad guy all the time. This is ridiculous. This is not how I feel. You know, let me ask you something. How how does the conversation so quickly devolve from common sense gun regulation to they're coming for your guns? How do we always end up there? Because I've never, you know, aside from an assault weapon ban, which we we do discuss and we did have and then we took it away, no one's ever been coming for anyone's guns, and yet we keep repeating that narrative. How did that happen? Well, that's a messaging thing, right? So that's where like the NRA comes into effect. So this is where the organizations like that are so significant in what they do, because they spread that narrative that people are coming for your guns. That's not something that the NRA did for uh, uh, over 100 years of its existence, I would say. The NRA was formed in Greenwich Village as an organization teaching people how to shoot, right? That's what it was about. Better marksmanship, not this idea of people coming for your gun. So that's a messaging thing that's occurred lately. And so I would say to you, Lee, that not every conversation does devolve into that. If I'm on Twitter, for example, yes, people, all the, all the tweets back to me are going to be, you're coming for our guns. But when we do these meetings in person or meet with groups, no one is really saying that. That almost never comes up. That's a... You said this right. There are 16% of the people who are gun owners who don't want any gun reforms. That's it, right? But you're right. They're the loudest voices. So as an example, we have a, I'll tell you something confidential, but we have a, because how many people are listening to this? Is it just you and I? Just me and my brilliant audience. Yeah. Right. So we host a confidential bi-monthly meeting with both sides of the gun issue. Where we and I mean both sides, and we bring on usually some fantastic professor to talk about research, and then we go from there and have a conversation until it looks like it's time to end it before things get heated, for example. But we do that, and so and one of them when we were talking about the legislation last June that passed through Congress, one of the people on our group who's a big gun rights guy said he wants to testify in front of Congress. I said why, and he said because I'm the loudest voice, and Congress should only listen to the loudest voices. And I said that is the exact opposite of what we're trying to do, right? Because that's what is happening. So if you watch TV, they want to have both sides. What are both sides? In this case, on a gun issue, it's the side that believes in gun reform. And then those 16% of gun owners or that don't believe in any gun reform, they feel they need to. So it makes it look like the debate is bigger than it is. But most of the country agrees on this issue. Yeah. It's like 4.9% of dentists say you should floss. And it's like, well, let's do both sides of that. You're like, well, I don't know if we need to do that. <laughs> Pretty sure it's floss. You should floss more, Lee. I mean, listen, the mission of your company is to change the conversation. And as we're saying, the messaging around guns, to find a common ground using research and hopefully innovative politics, and then ultimately reduce gun violence in America while still respecting the Second Amendment, right? I mean, that's the goal. You're out in the field, you're conducting research to better understand the concerns and the priorities of Americans. 
including the priorities of gun owners. And then you use that data to find common ground that everyone can get behind. And then you go to Congress and you promote those policies that have the support of gun owners and non-gun owners alike. Do you find it is successful? Are people listening to you? Well, that's a great question. The answer I would say is yes. And it's Congress, but it's also the states, Michigan in front of the legislature. We have, for example, the two former NRA lobbyists on our advisory board. Why? Because they believe in background checks and red flag laws, right? So we have like three former Republican members of Congress, and we have the former head of the Brady campaign who was responsible for the assault weapons ban passing in the 90s. So that's what I mean when I say both sides. I mean both sides, and you're exactly right. We have all of this information. We do studies. We just hired two fantastic famous pollsters, uh, Kristen Soltis-Anderson, who's on CNN all the time on the Republican side, and Jeff Garrett on the Democratic side. And we just did this big study of Dr. Michael Siegel Tufts. And we take that to just what you're saying, Congress, the administration, state governments. And we say to them, do what you want. Here's where people are. So if you want to do something, this has 80% support amongst gun owners. And they'll say, we're still going to get these hostile phone calls. That's all. I can't help you otherwise, right? I mean, you want to run for office. Here's here's where 80% of the gun owners agree. This will reduce homicides by 20%. Do you want to do that? And then that that's that's where we come in. No, that makes sense. I mean, you're out there talking to people about gun violence and gun safety, and then you take that research to lawmakers, local organizations, state governments, and you help them understand how the public wants things to be and help them create a platform that will truly have bipartisan support, which should be what anyone running for office should want. It should be less interesting to them if they're getting a hundred calls from a bunch of people who are far, far right wing, then it should be that they get a thousand votes from people who agree with their policies. Totally agree. You know, it's always frustrating when you hear these things where people say, I'm worried about a challenge or I'm worried about this. But by the way, on the Democratic side, I'm a Democrat. We're not totally innocent. We vote for things that we know are not going to pass as a messaging thing, right? This constantly comes up. Let's do this. I'll say, you realize that has no chance of passage, but I want people to know where I stand. But there are things that we could do that both sides will support. So that part of it does get super frustrating. Yeah. And that's why what got passed with the gun legislation you were talking that got passed under Biden was such a big deal, because we haven't passed anything that comprehensive in decades. One of the things about that that was super interesting, Lee, was that John Cornyn, the senator from Texas, polled Republicans to see where they were on these types of reform. And they obviously thought well enough of it. He's certainly not getting a hard time about it that he was able to vote for it. And by the way, we were able to take that bipartisan group, reached agreement on where to be on this issue, and take that and we were able to go to those members of Congress, those negotiators, and say, if you do this, you have bipartisan support. And so they knew that. So we were able to go to those Democratic and Republican offices and say, here's where the areas of agreement are. And in the House hearings during that time, for example, our stuff came up a bunch Eric Swalwell talked about us, Lucy Bath talked about us. And so, uh, and we're, because we have what seems to them to be objective information. So that's like, in other words, there are groups that talk about gun owners. It's all we do is this gun owner stuff. And we're able to take that to all these places, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and we have credibility when we walk in the room. Well, that makes sense. Credibility is essential. But so are lawmakers that listen to you. Because as someone who studies this topic and works with lawmakers all the time, attempting to make a difference, I think it seems to a lot of Americans that this gun issue seems both so easy and so impossible to solve. And I think that is very frustrating for people because so many people agree. So 
when I think about ideas, and let me run a couple of things by you, like what do you guys think at the 97% group when you guys are sitting around talking about it or doing research or talking to experts about things like changing libel laws or making people acquire insurance for each one of their weapons? Because I know I personally would love to live in a society where firearms were highly regulated. I find myself incredibly stressed in public spaces these days. I don't put groceries on top of my purse anymore in case I have to make a quick getaway, right? Like, I mean, I never thought like that before. I drove two blocks out of my way the other day to not turn around in someone's driveway because of what had happened in upstate New York. And I thought, Lee, you're losing your mind, right? I'm stressed when my child goes to school. I'm panicky when he has to be in open spaces. It's not normal. It makes me feel crazy. I know I'm not alone. And it certainly doesn't feel like freedom, right? So we're not going to disarm America. We know that. This is the land of the Second Amendment. We get that. But I think it's important that we start thinking seriously about alternative solutions that will really keep us safer. So that's where we try to come in. In other words, we check a lot of different things and see where gun owners are and where the support is and then confirm that mm-hmm. the same for both sides. So, for example, here's an area where, like I said before, you can reduce homicides by 20 percent. This is based on a study from Dr. Michael Siegel at Tufts, who has credibility with everybody. Violent misdemeanor laws in the United States. So in two states, you ha- you're you not able to get a gun if you commit a violent misdemeanor. In the other 48 states, you are able to get a gun. The number one precursor to a violent crime with a gun is a violent crime. So Lee, let's say you commit some type of nonviolent felony like wire fraud or something. You can't get a gun if you're convicted of a felony. That's not a precursor to gun violence. But if you commit domestic violence, often knocked down to a, val- a misdemeanor, That is a precursor. So if you, we polled gun owners, 80% of gun owners believe that if you've committed a violent misdemeanor, you should not be able to get a gun for like five years. That knocks down homicides rate, homicide rates with a gun by almost 20%. That, so you can name for me anything else that you could tell me short of, I don't even know what, that's the most effective thing that you could do. Now, that's a little bit different than the messaging that you hear from Democrats and Republicans on Capitol Hill. Let's take assault weapons. You mentioned it before, right? So assault weapons are, are a big issue in this country right now, no doubt about it. But I'm on Capitol Hill meeting with a Democratic staffer, and I say, what percentage of deaths with a gun do you think on an annual basis? What percentage are with an assault weapon? And she says 40%. And I say the answer is actually 1%, right? 3% of homicides, 1% of all gun deaths. She had no idea. Right. That's the opinion. Well, I'm telling you something that could reduce deaths by 20 percent as bipartisan support. Let's try to do that thing. And this is what I say to people like there are things we could do. I understand, you know, how you feel about us all. But there are things that we could do that have bipartisan support. Let's do those things. Yeah. So these things are like looking at your website, looking through your work. It feels like the company and the organization, the ultimate goals are, like you said, violent misdemeanor laws. So making sure violent criminals can't access guns, which includes setting violent crimes at the threshold of a misdemeanor so that someone who, say, battered their wife can't just get a gun later on. It's That's one of the things you guys are working right. on. Here's right. an example. The guy in Michigan State, he was originally charged with a felony that got knocked down to a misdemeanor, but it was a violent crime before he got the guns. And, but if, if that violent crime was prosecuted, in other words, if he was able, you would be able to say, we take your guns away, he wouldn't have been able to commit that Michigan State shooting, right? That's right. the kind of thing that I'm talking about. And there's a lot of evidence of specific cases where this happens. 
Okay, so violent misdemeanor laws is one of your goals. State level gun permit laws yes. and state level background checks. So talk me through that. It's it's one and the same in the sense that let's say federal background checks, I hate to say it, but they're the system's not the best, right? They don't catch everything. State background checks absolutely do catch everything, right? They catch everything. So if you get a state permit, for example, it'll have gone through your history much better than a federal background check would. And also though, if you get a state permit and you have not committed anything that should preclude you from having a gun, having a gun, you have to, in a negotiation, you have to give something. What's the give? The give is that if you're a gun owner and you go buy a gun, now you have a state permit, you buy, many gun owners own more than one gun. Next time you buy a gun, you don't have to have another background check, right? That's okay. because you've already passed this more stringent background test, right? Okay. So that's the give. That's, that's, so, and then if you, so that's the state permitting and the state background check, you get that permit, you could pass a permit on a gun on to somebody else who has a permit, like a family member, those types of things. So that's something okay. that gun owners want. And then the last thing that you're going to mention is red flag laws. Right. Red flag laws. Which mean that if somebody, you know, for example, is a harm to themselves or others, that, uh, that you would be able to petition the court to take their gun away temporarily. So if someone's at a high risk of committing violence yes, because they've been threatening their teacher or threatening their classmates or threatening their mother and the, you go to the police and you say, this is what's been happening, they get flagged. And then if they go to buy some weapons, they can't get one. Correct. And so, so that's, there are different rules in different states. Some will say like now the school could petition the court to do those types of things. The rules are Different different states. I think there are 19 states that have that. They've proven to be effective. Florida, for example, under DeSantis, has had thousands of red flag law cases. It's not like anybody's up in arms about the red flag laws. In Florida, they work. Part of the problem with red flag laws is people don't know they exist or how to use them. So better education, but also faster due process. We met with a congressman from New Jersey, and law enforcement had just been in there, and they said, you know, sometimes when spouses fight a spouse will now say this person is a danger, take away their gun, just out of vengeance. They don't actually need their gun taken away. And that's something that we have to watch out for. So we need better due process on that. That's something that that needs to change. Well, people do that with people's children too. Right. And, you know, they do that. They specifically get in the way of uh, parents' rights just to spite them. Right. And I think some people look at their guns much like they look at their children as something beloved. And so we must be aware of that, but also keep things in perspective. Did you know that your temperature at night has one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? Do you often wake up too hot or too cold? Then I highly recommend you check out Miracle Made Bed Sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver infused fabric that makes temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Do you want to be in better shape, be a better parent, get more work done? There is one thing that will help with all of that, and it's a better night's sleep. Miracle Made sheets tap right into your self-cooling regulation, which has been shown to improve deep sleep by over 20%. The silver-infused sheets also prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, so they're not only designed to keep you the perfect temperature, they'll stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. And they're lovely sheets, luxurious and comfortable without the high price tag of those other luxury brands. So go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl and try Miracle Made Sheets today. With Father's Day just around the corner, this might be the perfect way to give someone you love a better night's sleep. So much better than a tie, right? 
And Miracle Made Sheets are so confident in their product, they'll back it with a 30-day full money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, they'll give you a complete refund. So upgrade your sleep today with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl and use the code politicsgirl for 40% off and to claim three free towels. Again, that is trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl. How can you go wrong? Politics Girl has a new sponsor, and I can't tell you how cool this company is. Fastgrowingtrees.com is a company that ships literal trees to your home at your convenience. From shade trees to fruit trees to privacy trees, fastgrowingtrees.com can help you plant your dream garden, build a fence of trees, or just give you what I ordered, which is a lemon and avocado tree that I put in pots outside my house so if we can ever afford to move, I can take them with me. I can't tell you how easy this process was. Fastgrowingtrees.com are plant experts and they curate thousands of easy to grow plants, shrubs, and trees for your particular climate. They have citrus trees to evergreens and everything in between. Ordering was so easy. I can't tell you how many more things I wanted to order. I ended up with a three to five foot avocado tree and a three to four foot Meyer lemon tree. But since it's hard to know which plants will do best in your location, fastgrowingtrees.com gives you customized recommendations based on your specific needs. Plus, their plant experts are always available to help keep your plants healthy through all the seasons. I even called them when my tree arrived because I wasn't sure if I should keep them in or take them out of the root basket. And they answered the phone and they told me. I mean, so helpful. So join me in the over 1.5 million happy fastgrowingtrees.com customers by going to fastgrowingtrees.com slash politicsgirl and you'll get 15% off your entire order. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash politicsgirl. I'm not kidding. This company is amazing. Go to their website and check it out for yourself. Fastgrowingtrees.com. Our final sponsor today are my pals at Athletic Greens. Our family gave AG1 a try almost two years ago because the idea of better gut health and more energy was something that really appealed to us. But we couldn't get over the difference in how we felt once we started. And especially I couldn't get over the difference in how I slept. I found I wasn't crashing around 4 p.m. every day and needing a coffee or a nap. AG1 is a simple daily habit. It's just one scoop of powder and water every day, which I find works best in the morning on an empty stomach. AG1 makes it easier for you to take the highest quality supplements and it replaces things like multivitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics with one scoop of powder. In fact, that one scoop of powder covers your entire day's nutritional basis with 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. I've given it to my father, my husband, I talk it up to all of my friends. So if you are looking for a simple cost-effective supplement routine, then you should try AG1. And right now, Athletic Greens is giving you one free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl. That's athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl to check it out. I know you won't be disappointed. And now back to Matt Lippman. Talk to me a little bit about your support of these new technologies, because I love these new technologies. And what do gun owners think of these new technologies? And what do these experts think? I know a lot of people believe that we could stop things like unintentional shootings of children or gun theft or teen suicide if we use these technologies that only allow authorized gun owners to use that weapon. It's like a handprint technology. I mean, what are you hearing and what's the research on that? So it's super interesting because when we started to get involved, there were the technology was not nearly as 
far along as you would think it should be, right? Because gun manufacturers didn't want to get involved. Remington, for example, which is bankrupt, was offered over $600 million by a Native American tribe to turn into a smart gun company. They wouldn't do it, right? They were offered Why? because they don't want to, they feel that gun owners don't want smart technology, so they would not do it. Right. I know. So all these companies are they become against smart gun technology. It's ridiculous. So there's not a big group of people trying to make smart guns is what was happening, even though it would seem like now's the time. So we looked into this. We met with a lot of different people who were very early in the process. And then we met with this company called BioFire, which just launched their smart gun a couple of weeks ago. They're the farthest along. So they have a chance at success. It's fingerprint technology. Right. And then there's a uh, company that makes a safe called Vara in Albany, New York, V-A-R-A, that makes a safe that looks like a holster. So why did we get involved in that one? I should point out that there's no profit that could be made for 97 percent from any of this. Any money has to go back into the nonprofit legally. Vara. So the issue was we were talking to some people and they said, you know, Atlanta Falcons football games, Lee, people leave their guns in their cars and then come back to the cars and the guns are stolen. Right. And then those guns inevitably get used in crimes. What can we do to stop the gun? It seems ridiculous to stop the guns from being stolen. You could take this thing with fingerprint technology and leave it in your car so that no one could steal your gun. Right. Because. Yeah. I mean, that seems brilliant to me. I mean, I personally think all guns in America should be registered and you should be held personally responsible for everything that happens with your weapon. We're supposed to be this country of personal responsibility. So to me, if I want to own an arsenal of weapons, let me. I can have 700 weapons. I am just personally responsible for what happens with each one of them. So if a toddler takes it out of my purse and shoots his brother, it's as if I shot that toddler. If your teenager takes your gun to school and shoots a bunch of his friends, it's as if you did it because you are personally responsible for that gun. If the gun accidentally goes off and kills your granddaughter, you are held responsible. And I feel like it's stuff like this new technology that would allow a lot of that to happen. Because I can promise you, if we started locking people up for things that happened with their weapons, the idea of what a responsible gun owner looked like would change pretty quickly, right? People would be actually locking their guns up. They would be making sure those chambers were clear. You wouldn't be lending it to people. And if your gun did get stolen, as you're saying, you'd be calling the authorities immediately to let them know that that weapon was no longer your responsibility. So if it was used in a crime that didn't have smart gun technology, then you were not responsible for it. And I just, I feel like gun owners could get behind that because they'd be like, oh, I'm a responsible gun owner. You're like, great, then have an arsenal. Go ahead, you know, pose with it on your Christmas card, but you are responsible for what happens with it. Could I tell you a smart gun technology story? I would love to hear a smart gun technology story. So in New Jersey, in the early 2000s, they pass a law, the law says, if you, once smart guns become viable in the United States and once they're sold in any store in the U.S., all New Jersey gun stores need to sell only smart guns, right? This is the law that passes. Okay. Some guy in Bethesda, Maryland, a few years later, starts to sell the first smart gun in the United States. People call him up and they're like, we're going to kill you. You're going to die. Guy has no idea what he did. But what he did was sell the first smart gun, which meant in New Jersey, all the stores had to sell smart guns and nothing else. He didn't know that, right? So, of course, now a few a couple of years ago, New Jersey changes that law to say any gun shop has to also sell smart guns. But this is what happened. In other words, so when companies see that and they see that people want to kill this guy for even selling a smart gun, it makes them very reluctant to want to make a smart gun, right? So now- It makes me 
want to have smart guns even more. Right. That's well, what I think. But now that's, this is, so now we're just advancing this technology and I can't, I think these companies are viable. I have no idea, you know, what's going to happen in the future, but the idea is you build that ecosystem, Lee, you build that so yeah. that they're not the only one. So that next year, another company comes along and these companies, and we keep improving it and there are other companies doing the same thing. And I think we're just getting to that point now that we should have gotten two years ago. Yeah, I mean, for years, the car companies bought all the patents for electric cars so you couldn't compete with them, right? And we got to the point where there were some people that were willing to just make those electric cars anyway and not just sell out. And then we had an electric car revolution, you know, this kind of the same thing with smart energy. The gas companies tried for a really long time to have us not notice them. And there are better ways to do things. We just have to all get on board with them so that they become just as profitable as the other companies. I mean, I would highly recommend people go to 97% dot us to see how this all breaks down you guys put it so succinctly on the website the whys the hows the specifics but also the essential question that your organization keeps returning to which is how would this new law respect the rights of law-abiding citizens because that's the end of the day we're not trying to take anything from people we want the freedom to own a gun we just want it to be safe gun ownership right so before i switch topics because i really do want to talk to you about the working group before you go um how can people get involved in what you're doing at 97 percent? i know you have a sort of 15 minute twice weekly video series called talking about guns where you discuss everything from relevant national news to safety training and you're joined by tons of guests you know people like advocates like fred gutenberg or lawmakers like Maxwell Frost. But aside from listening to that, what else can people do if they're interested in being a part of this important work? Well, thank you for asking. A couple of things. One is we have this thing called Aim for Change on our website. So this giant advertising firm, worldwide firm, came to us and they put up this thing where I swear, Lee, this is true. It has a target on it. And you, if you were at a gun range, for example, you shoot the form of gun reform that you want. They came to us with this whole package, but it's on our website. So if you, Lee, want gun reform, and you go to our Aim for Change on the website and click in what parts of gun reform you want, that will go to your legislators. Do that. The number one thing. Number two thing I would just say is gun owners need to come to the table. This is what people really need to do. And they need to, we all understand there are over 400 million guns in this country. We're not getting rid of guns in the United States, right? So what can we do about it? Don't believe the hype that this country is super divided on gun issues. We're not divided. Have the confidence to know that there are lots of people, the vast majority, Two-thirds of NRA members favor background checks, for example, right? 70% or so of gun owners favor red flag laws. 84% of gun owners favor universal background checks. There are all these things that gun owners favor, but they're not heard often enough. So just understand when we're having conversations with folks, we mostly agree. There are people that want to divide us. Ignore them. Wouldn't that be nice? nice But maybe don't listen to the loudest voices in the room, you know, listen to what more people are saying. Um, Okay, so let's just switch gears for a second and we won't talk about it for long, but to what you're doing with the working group. Now, how would you describe this group and what's the mission there? So you're referring to the entertainment industry working group, which mostly, uh, you know, gets written about every once in a while in some mysterious way. Um, So what it is, is a high level, high level group of people in entertainment, actors, writers, producers, directors. It started out helping Democrats get elected to Congress. Very, very, very helpful for Biden in 2020. Uh, And what it is, is the group meets with leaders, all sorts of leaders from around the country in all sorts of fields, but often in government, but all sorts of fields. Could be newsmakers of any sort, lots of different causes. And what it is, is we talk about what's going on in that, let's say, 
It could be about gun issues. It could be about abortion rights. It could be anything. And we talk about what's going on and what people can do about it if they want to do something about it. So nobody's forced to do anything. There's nothing. It doesn't cost anything. But you're hearing straight from the leaders of the country what they could do about certain issues to be helpful. And by the way, sometimes maybe there's nothing. Or maybe people don't feel inspired at all. Nobody has to do anything. But we have these amazing meetings with these incredible people. And we take a lot of action. And I would say of any group in the country, people, not necessarily as part of the group, sometimes on their own, it's probably the most effective group of people in the country. Yeah, well, I mean, you get that amount of people together, creatives, and then political figures, strategists, people like that to brainstorm um, listening sessions so that you can best able to help each other to promote ideas. It seems like a very smart way to kind of to use a term that's so corny, synergize, right? It's not about raising money. It's about raising awareness. And I will say that I have been lucky enough to be included in some of those meetings. I can say in all honesty that they really are positive problem-solving listening groups. Um, The most recent one was discussing topics ranging from keeping up those democratic wins in Michigan and how we can be most helpful in 24, the debt ceiling crisis, how do we get the youth of America inspired and registered to vote. And I think these are the kind of conversations that are a essential for people to be having, whether they're Hollywood insiders or regular people in America? So, well, a couple of things. One is that it amazes me what people are willing to do voluntarily. It's mm-hmm. just shocking to me how much work people are willing to do. And they're not, it's not for their personal benefit, right? It's not like they're fighting for tax cuts for themselves. They're fighting for things that help other people. And it's just really beautiful what people are willing to do. That's number one. Number two, one reason that group succeeds, and it's really the big reason that group has succeeded over time is because that group has two rules. One, no complaining, right? So if you come on that group and let's say, I don't like something you said, that's not what I say to you. I say to you, how can I help you, right? That's the rule number two. How can I help? That's what we try to do. So that's it. So if you come on and you don't like like some politician or whatever, you don't agree with their messaging, you don't say that. You would say, how can I help you message, right? Here are my ideas to help you message. So that's the difference between this group and I think a lot of others. And if people complain or make it too too big of a deal about themselves, then they're not invited back because we are very lucky to have the guests that we have who come on and they don't have to come on these people to speak to us. So if they're going to come on and anybody's going to be negative, they don't need to be there, right? That's it. That's the end of the call. So it's very important that people, I think you were on a call today where we had on a former congressman and he was very wary of criticizing anybody on purpose because he knows that that's the rule of the meeting. And so, you know, we try to be very, very careful. The whole thing is about what can we do to be helpful? And sometimes, for example, somebody comes on and they're super inspirational, but no one does anything. But then a year later, somebody says, I'm holding a fundraiser for that person. And you're like, oh, wow, I didn't even know you remembered that. But it's also a way of getting people involved in the issues, making people feel important. And now as we get toward 24, we didn't do a lot of in-person stuff in 2020 because it was COVID, but toward 2024, we will. If anyone's heard of any of those Zoom bombs where people were doing phone banking and all of a sudden there was a famous celebrity on the phone bank thanking the volunteers for being there, that was stuff that happened from this group. It was absolutely ridiculous what went on during that stuff. We had, for example, Justin Timberlake. The producers of Parks and Rec and the editors work for us for free. So you'd be on, let's say you're with your, all of your volunteers in Michigan. Suddenly, Justin Timberlake shows up on your Zoom, right? You lose your mind. So that's a lot of what was happening in these Zooms. 
we had on Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. Let's, this is how this works, right? This is why it's a benefit sometimes to have people in entertainment who are not always additive, right? But here's where it is additive. You're doing a phone bank. You have 80 people on your phone bank, right? But now you'd say, we're going to have a reunion of the cast of Once Upon a Time. Now you have 300 people on the phone bank making calls. That's a big difference, right? Mm -hmm. So that's something mm -hmm. that's like not, you're not out there really in public doing anything. You're not, you know, making a video, but you're just on a phone bank, bringing people onto a phone bank. Things like that are super important. And they make a big difference to democracy. The amount of people that you can get involved, the more people we can get involved. And people who I, have been at those meetings are really clear that it's not just liberals giving each other attaboys in some left-wing echo chamber. It's about how you can help, what you can do, how to start the conversation. And as you said, it's not about complaining. It's about what the issues are and how people can help with that. And I think it all comes back to the idea that everyone should be talking about politics, that democracy matters, that being involved matters, that who we elect matters. I don't blame people for not being interested in politics or being excited or doing something just because a celebrity might show up at that. I don't blame them for that because that apathy that we have for politics is by design. I mean, what have we been told our whole lives not to talk about, right? Religion and politics. And what are the two things that cause the most problems in the history of the world? Religion and politics. I mean, celebrities in particular are trained to not talk about these things because they don't want to alienate any of their audience. Right. And many of us don't even learn civics in school anymore. So we don't even understand how government works. And then elections come along and we don't have the time or resources to figure out what we're doing or who we're voting for or how it's all going. So we're dependent on people to help us out, to phone bank, to call, to explain things to us, to get us involved, to get us more engaged. Because the only people who are really served by us not being engaged are the powers that be and the people that fund them. And then the government ends up serving the powers that be and the people that fund them. And so I think it's essential that we have groups like yours getting more people into the fight because the more we know, the more we care, and the more we care, the more a difference we can all make. Well, thank you, Lee. I mean, I, what I would say is for people who listen to this podcast to you, you're going to be very anxious over the next year or so as these elections come up. You're going to watch TV. Don't. I, my first piece of advice is don't watch TV. Just listen to Lee's podcast is really what I would tell you to do. But if yes, you're going to do watch it, TV for you, you're going to you're going to get very anxious about what's going on. And what you can do to alleviate some of that feeling is get involved a little bit. In other words, mm -hmm. not just stand out there and scream right into the wind, but go knock on some doors because you'll feel as if you have some control over what's happening. And that's a much better feeling. Going out and knocking on doors and getting people to register to vote isn't a partisan activity by itself. You're just registering people to vote. They can vote however they want. But getting people to register to vote and participate in democracy is super important. So that's something that you could do as an example. People can always give to organizations that they support. That's also great, too. But there are things that you could do where it's not just you scream. Like my mother would be screaming at CNN, right? Donald Trump comes on. He does the town hall. She's yelling. He's not yelling back. Right. So, you know, go do something that could actually be supportive of democracy. And just, you know, one quick thing, Lee, is like a bunch of us, we went to Michigan in November to knock on doors for the purposes of helping Gretchen Whitmer and Jocelyn Benson in Michigan, who are two of the greatest election elected officials on earth. Amazing. We're having Jocelyn Benson on next month. You are? She's, yeah, the, great. she's, she's, literally she's the greatest. So, you know, helping people like that, not, you know, and they, they'll, somebody says to me, not involved in our group, but they say, oh, you guys are going to Michigan. We'll send a plane for you to go to Michigan. I say, 
absolutely no freaking way. Do you want a bunch of people from L.A. coming in on a private plane, swooping in here to go knock on doors like it's so stupid, right? We don't do that stuff. Go. We're adults. Fly yourself wherever you need to. Go knock on doors. Go do what you have to do. You're adults. Like, figure this stuff out. And so that's the other thing. Treat everybody. You know, we treat. I try to treat everybody like an adult. If you don't deserve to be treated that way, be in a different group. I mean, I think, Matt, at the end of the day, you and I, we both talk to leaders around the country all the time. And I think it's certain that they're ready to fight back, but they can't do it on their own. They need people who believe in democracy to be louder than the people who believe in whatever this opposite is right now. They need people who believe in truth to be louder than the people who believe in this misinformation. They need us informed. They need us fired up. They need our energy to feed theirs. They need more power in the state legislatures and the courthouses and the governor's mansions. They need us to flip the House and keep the Senate. And they have leaders ready to make real change if we give them the power to do so. But Wait. it'll take all of us working together to make that You're happen. You're one of those leaders, by the way. You're one of those leaders now. But also, you know, I was doing one of these interviews, BBC or CNN, I don't know, one of these. Whenever I go on, it's something terrible, by the way, because some <laughs> horribles happen. And then they, it's like I'm the Grim Reaper. I don't, I don't even want to come on. When they call me, I'm like, oh, no. You're like, oh, what's uh, happened? Uh, so, you know, one thing is, that it, when we talk about these leaders, they asked me on the show, they said, oh, Joe Biden's running for president because there's, there are no leaders below him that are really good. I'm like, are you kidding me? There is such a lineup. Like, you know, we try to show this in our Zooms that you're on with these leaders who maybe everybody doesn't know. There are incredible elected officials in this for just the right reasons. So the most comfortable thing that many people do is they just bash their elected officials all the time. Oh, you know, just amorphous George Santos, fine. But with their elected officials, many of these people are in it for the right reasons, making a lot of sacrifices, doing a fantastic job. We mentioned Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer and Jocelyn Benson. I would only say also to the people who listen to this, if you're in the state of Michigan, you have the best elected officials in America. There is a long list from your attorney general to your secretary of state to members of Congress. You're the luckiest state in America. That is, Michigan is the shining example of all of these women who are running that state. They are amazing. And those people should be running the federal government four years. I couldn't agree more. We just did a podcast called Michigan, the anti-Florida and about how it, successful they are there. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. amazing. I mean, you talked about Jocelyn Benson. I hope people listen to that. Jocelyn Benson is literally the best elected official in America. Well, I think the, the bottom line is I really think we can fix this country. You know, you gather people around you every day who believe the same thing. And I understand that people feel like we're sitting at this terrifying crossroads right now, but I want people to know that it's also a crossroad that is filled with opportunity. And I absolutely wouldn't be doing this work. You wouldn't be doing this work if we didn't really believe we could turn this around. And I really think we can. Uh, the only thing, Lee, I'll leave your audience with is this. If I were giving a TED Talk, it would be called How Can I Help? That's all that I want people to take away is thinking to themselves, there's a problem. How can I be helpful? You can't solve everything. None of us can solve everything, but how can I be helpful? And that's what I want people to take away from this. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today, Matt. We'll all think about how we can help. And uh, we know we can't do it all by ourselves. So who can we bring with us as we do it? Thanks again for coming. Thank you. So that was Matthew Littman reminding us not to be discouraged, that there are people working behind the scenes every day to fix what ails us. And if we look at the country and think not, this is all broken, but how can I help? We could start making a real difference. 
I want to thank Matthew for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go aim for change. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.